Welcome to TCC Alive, a podcast of Tulare Community Church. I invite you to hear now the word of the Lord from the book of Isaiah, chapter 11, verses 1 to 10. Isaiah, chapter 11, verses 1 to 10, it says this. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked." Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest." They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. We say thanks be to God. Hey, Lord, be with you, Tulare Community Church. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at TCC. We are in the second week of Advent. This is a four-week liturgical season observed by the entirety of the global church leading us to the celebration of Jesus' birth on Christmas. Advent is a season of waiting. It's a season of expectation. It's a season of patience as we await the Savior, the Messiah, coming into the world at last. The four weeks correspond with four themes of the Christian faith that Advent points us to. Hope, peace, joy, and love. Pastor Steve kicked us off last week looking at the connection between hope and justice. The second candle has been lit, and today we look at peace. More specifically, the prophet Isaiah will remind us of the unexpected supernatural reality of peace in light of the gospel. Out of weakness comes peace. The megaphone of God prophesying 2,700 years ago reminds us of this radical truth. Out of weakness comes peace. Let's explore why that is and what it means together. I like to joke with people that within only five short months, I have had the two richest sources of sermon sermon illustrations available to any pastor opened to me. Our first child was born and I went to Israel. The only way to top that is if our first child was born in Israel, but beggars can't be choosers. All of a sudden, all the cute, relatable parenting analogies have been unlocked and the treasure trove of the promised land and its wonder has been opened as well. I'm in trouble. All of my excuses have suddenly vanished. But there was something I observed while I was in Israel last month that isn't an excuse, but is instead representative of the entirety of human nature. If you are unaware of the geopolitical realities surrounding this small nation of Israel, know this. That country has no rational reason to still be standing. Every single one of their neighbors, all much larger, more populated nations, have wanted to blow them off the face of the planet since they became a nation after World War II in 1948. 
battle in which they were outnumbered 5-1, to one, they came out victorious. An unwinnable war against an unbeatable opponent, they won. As you learn the history, your jaw, your jaw drops closer and closer to the ground in awe. How are you still here? And the answer of our bus driver was, God and the military. The former would be a whole other sermon series, so let's touch on the latter for a moment. Every able-bodied Israeli citizen, including women, serve in the military for at least two years. Men continue to serve for a month, a year, until their mid-40s. And this creates a sense of buy-in, creates unity, this creates patriotism. Our bus driver drove tanks and our tour guide parachuted out of airplanes. That's just how it goes. You feel the presence of the military almost everywhere. That giant metal wall lined with barbed wire on the border of the Palestinian territory. People kept walking into Israeli towns with suicide vests on, so we stopped them. Perhaps you've heard of the Iron Dome defense system. Missiles come from the Gaza Strip. Missiles come from the West Bank. Missiles come from Syria. Missiles come from Lebanon. Israel's Iron Dome defense system shoots those missiles out of the air with their own missiles. In fact, for every single missile that comes toward Israel, Israel uses five missiles to shoot that one missile out of the sky. The weapons from neighboring countries become more powerful, so do the weapons from Israel. As our tour guide is explaining all of this again himself, an Israeli military veteran, he finishes by saying, and so we have peace. No matter how hard they want to hit us, we can always hit back harder peace. And at first glance, this is true. Strong defenses save lives. Lives saved is something to celebrate. Strong defenses keep people safe. And that feels like peace. But as I've been wrestling with our passage of scripture and our Advent theme of peace this week, as I've wrestled and reflected on that tour guide's definition of peace, I'm forced to ask the question, is it? Is peace merely a lack of harm done to people? Is true peace constituted simply by a lack of violence? The hostility is still there, clearly, so does a, as long as we're stronger than they are, they can do us no harm, no harm, attitude actually mean peace has been achieved? And that's just externally, but what about inner peace? I had a conversation with someone over the past few months uh, who has always battled with self-esteem, battled with confidence. Always battled with that little voice saying, you're no good. But recently, this person has discovered that physical exercise helps keep that little voice at bay. Helps promote positive thoughts, positive self-talk, positive thinking. Efforts to drown out the shame, drown out the voice of condemnation. Negative thoughts get stronger. Positive thoughts get stronger still. And yet the same question has to be asked, does the lack of something like negative thoughts constitute inner peace? Does a Herculean effort to drown out the shame with positive self-talk through something like physical exercise actually create lasting, true, penetrating peace? When two things, no matter what they are, are in complete conflict with, with one another, does one of those two things overpowering the other mean that peace has been achieved? Can my strength being stronger than your strength create this elusive sense of shalom, of wholeness, of completion, of peace that we're so desperate for? Or is Isaiah onto something when he reminds us, out of weakness comes peace? 
As we're exploring this remarkable season of Advent, we are being led by the book of Isaiah. And this is a prophetic book. The entire genre of prophetic literature in the Bible consists of God speaking to his people through the individual of his choosing. Isaiah likely began relaying God's message to the Jewish people in the early 700s BC and into the 600s BC. As usual, Israel has begun, had begun to rely on other forms of power and security than God himself. And God speaks through Isaiah to warn them of the consequences. By now, the nation of Israel has already broken into multiple kingdoms. There's the northern kingdom, which is Israel, and the southern kingdom, where Jerusalem is, which is Judah. It's all still Israel, but it's sort of a house divided. The southern kingdom is relatively whole, but the northern kingdom is more fractured still. And they all war with each other all the time. Now, the biggest, baddest bully on the scene is to the east, Assyria. And the backdrop of the prophet Isaiah entering the scene involves a king of Judah, Ahaz, secretly making a deal with Assyria to partner with Judah in opposition not only to the northern kingdom, but to various other neighbors as well. Because that's how you create peace, right? You get the best weapons, the best soldiers, you get the best technology, you drown out the negativity, you overpower anything and everything. Peace. But if you know the story, peace does not prevail. The northern kingdoms are overtaken by the Assyrian king Sennacherib, and Judah is attacked next. God responds on their behalf. Isaiah 10, 33 and 34 tells us, See, the Lord, the Lord Almighty, will lop off the boughs with great power. The lofty trees will be felled, the tall ones will be brought low. He will cut down the forest thickets with an axe. Lebanon will fall before the mighty one. The power of God will overcome the power of Assyria. The mighty trees reaching towards the heavens of this nation will be returned to the ground. It all sounds rather familiar. Rinse, lather, repeat, right? Or however that cycle goes. But out of the sawdust, God says through Isaiah that something new is coming. Something the world hasn't seen before. The trees will be felled, the greatest power in the world, Assyria, will be overpowered, but out of its seemingly dead stump will come a shoot. My wife at our house is is growing flowers in our backyard out of seeds, and she's so excited that these small green stems have begun to grow out of the soil. Out of this stump will come a shoot just like that. It'll be a descendant of David, son of Jesse, certainly. The spirit of the Lord will be with him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, of counsel and might, of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. It sounds like a new king, another king, and all of that sounds rather routine. God has blessed kings before. Think of Solomon and all his wisdom, David and his military prowess. We've seen righteous kings and faithful kings. But Isaiah 11, verses 6 to 10 tells us that the world will know something through this king, through this shoot, that the world hasn't known since Genesis 2. Peace. Verses 6 to 10 says, The wolf will live with the lamb. 
The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf, and the lion, and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will pull its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them. Peace, reconciliation, enemies coming together on shared common ground. The predator will no longer hold court over the prey, but the predator and the prey will coexist in true peace. The stronger will no longer overcome the strong, but sworn enemies will live together in harmony and a child will lead them. The true king, the prophesied king, A king who will come into the world unexpectedly and rule in a way never before seen. A king who first takes the form of ultimate weakness, ultimate vulnerability. A king who enters the fray of the world as an infant, born to a frightened virgin and a skeptical stepfather in the backwater, irrelevant, unimportant town of Bethlehem. A king born in a manger. Surrounded by farm animals covered in straw. A king who enters the world in abject humility, who will live a life of humility and will die a death of humility nailed to a cross. Submitted to the divine ordering of the world. A a king who will conquer the world not through strength, but through weakness. A king who will triumph over the world in his death. A king whose weakness will overpower the strength of division. A king whose weakness will bring enemies together, will reconcile age-old foes. A king who will bring together not only the northern and southern kingdoms of old, but Jews and Gentiles, slaves and free. A king who, during this Advent season, the church holds its collective breath waiting for, waiting in expectation for the most powerful man who has ever lived to be born completely powerless, completely weak, completely dependent. The antithesis of what the world has valued for so long. It is in that king, that descendant of Jesse, father of David, the prophesied Messiah, that the world will know true peace. Not in strength, but in weakness, not in triumph, but in submission. Peace will be achieved by the infant born in that manger those so many years ago. The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. I'll close with something Pastor Steve mentioned last week, the Temple Mount. It's the exact location where the Jewish temple once stood in the middle of modern-day Jerusalem, and there now stands the third holiest Muslim site in the world, a site where Muslims believe the prophet Muhammad ascended to heaven. It is the most contentious religious place on planet Earth. In the name of peace, metal detectors run by police carrying machine guns must be passed through to enter. German shepherds patrol the base of the wall surrounding the site. Remember, in the name of peace. Religious books of any kind are strictly prohibited. Religious jewelry of any kind is strictly prohibited. Praying of any kind is strictly prohibited. In the name of peace, 
No one may worship. It is eerie, it is spooky, and it is harrowing. And there's no violence. Muslims, Jews, Christians, whomever else, they coexist. But again, that question, does the lack of violence constitute peace? In this Advent season, Isaiah is pointing us to a child who will bring about deep, permanent harmony, not by force, but by weakness. He will set everything right. True peace will reign. And instead of prayer and worship being prohibited, instead of a makeshift peace brought about by an absence of violence, instead of gang violence destroying communities, instead of mass shootings destroying families, instead of dictators allowing for the deaths of tens of thousands of soldiers in the name of diplomacy, instead of a million different strategies to drown out the negative self-talk with more self-talk, instead of what we consider peace... The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. Friends, Christ is coming. During this Advent season, wait on him. Wait on him in humility, in submission, and in weakness. Because it is out of weakness and weakness alone that peace comes. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to know more about the ministries and mission of Tulare Community Church, visit us at tccalive.org.